Podcast 017, Movie Review of Food Matters, Discussion of Cancer, Local Organic Nutrition, and Toilets. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. Okay, let's go on. Okay, here we are in Stevensville, Montana. I try to fake people out and make them think I live in Missoula. Oh, we gave it away. We're, we're close enough to Missoula. I always just say Missoula. Right, which is where you're focusing the center of it's, your it's, stuff. It's where we're going to dinner tonight, is in Missoula. That's true. That's you know, true. I, I just really haven't had any really good dining experiences in Stevensville. So... Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> enough said. We watched a movie last night. True, um, and and uh, you gave your editorial during the movie. I was narcoleptic. It sounded like this. Yeah, that was sad. You watched. You watched probably that. about half of it or two thirds of it, uh-huh. and and it wasn't like you and you were selecting. You know pieces to sleep through as opposed right. to, so right. I, I watched the whole thing. Well, well, let me back up a little bit and just kind of frame what we're going to talk about in this podcast. Okay. Shall All, we? Right. All right. So um, we're going to talk about the movie we saw, Food right. Matters. Food Matters. And we're going to talk about you being quoted in the Missoulian. That'll be brief. <laughs> and and that'll lead us into some water issues and... Um, and that, if we have time, we'll get on to some other issues. And by water issues, we, we're going to people are so keen about doing water stuff, and and uh, like what what can I do to to use less water? What can I do to have cleaner water? Um, and and so there's I've heard a lot lately from you and from some other people where it's like they're becoming exceptionally passionate right. just before Earth Day. To, to, to be better about, you know, how they use water. Well, and I think in some of the talks you give about ir- irrigation and water and using less water, um, there are some pieces that have been left out. So hopefully this conversation will be a little bit different than your typical irrigation talk and bring in some of your other knowledge in some other areas. So, and the, and the other housekeeping thing is that... The email stuff. So, so you know, for some of these podcasts, we try to do this thing to say, okay, like, if we're going to take, for an hour-long podcast or a 45-minute-long podcast, it's amazing how much time it takes to produce it. You know, I, I envy, I, I think about, you know, the, the idea of people who have television shows and and they like just does John Stewart spend how much time does John Stewart spend? He's got like probably fifty people helping him put on that show, and and uh, for a lot of these shows that do a show every day, they probably have a massive staff. But it, just to do one of these podcasts, it takes an enormous amount of time, and so it's kind of like all right, you know, I'm I'm willing to do it, and so I uh, some of these I put a little price tag on them, and so this one should be really easy. Um, I have a, a brand new mailing list, and uh, uh, I've set it up. And this is something that Jack Spierko, um he was really emphatic. In fact, um, I have not put out anything for 11 days uh, while I was trying to get caught up on many things, and this is one of them. Jack said, drop everything. Make sure that you get this set up. And I, and, and I've, after a bunch of research, I finally con- I'm, I'm convinced that Jack is right, as usual. 
And um, and so I did. I went and I got this this email thing set up. And so what I'd like to ask people to do is to head out to permies.com or richsoil.com, and um, there will be something on there about sign up for Paul's uh, email thing, email sign up. I think that's what all it says is email sign up. And, and, and in case someone started with this podcast and hadn't heard earlier podcasts, Jack Spierko is from the Survival Podcast. Right, right. So uh, how I got to start my podcast came from really his mm-hmm. because I, I, I got interviewed there. Immediately people set up a fan page, and like 500 people like in the first 24 hours or something. I don't remember what it was. It was just crazy. And then a whole bunch of those people all encouraged me to start a podcast. So um, this existing at all is, is thanks to Jack. Right, right. So. <clears throat> and he has quite a following. But um, So that's our housekeeping. Right. So, so please go out and sign up for my email thingamajigger. Right. That, yeah, just give up your email address and, and then um, – I, I try to put little categories in it so that you don't get more email than you really want. So right. that way, some of it's just general permaculture stuff. Some of it's more Missoula-specific. And then one of them is to help me in my devious plots for world domination. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> the movie, last night, we... Um, Food Matters. Watched Food Matters. And and this movie's been out a couple years now. I, I got email from somebody at Food Mattersville... Uh, saying, hey, have you seen it? Hey, can you help us promote it? Hey, we'll send you a copy. Um, but, but we have it on the Netflix. So I was able, we, we watched it last night. And um, uh, I, yeah, so, so we got it watched. I got it watched. <laughs> well, and my narcolepsy could be other things, not just the movie. Uh-huh. Um, but the movie is is all about why food matters and why the quality and the freshness and and the kind of food, why it matters, and what some of the science is behind that. Yeah, they, they had, in fact, there was this one guy who kept referring to it as the forgotten research for the medical industry, um, and, and I thought that was, that was rather interesting. Um, o- overall, I'm going to come right out of the gate and say that I thought the movie was okay. Um, I, I thought it was, uh, um, I, I kind of had higher expectations, and, and um, um, r- rather than being wowed and like, oh, everybody should watch this, I kind of felt like, no, this is, this is a, um, a worthwhile movie, um, and uh, uh, I, I do think that there are cases where it's like somebody, you could say to somebody, you need to go watch this movie today. Um, but um, the average person, um, uh, no, I think there's a lot of movies out that, you know, this one would be in the pile of a lot of movies to go see. Well, they, they, one case that they were really trying to build, like you said, with the forgotten medical research is how medical doctors are trained to prescribe medicine. And, and they, they don't know much about nutrition. Um, they prescribe medicine. And they were trying to build a case, especially at the beginning, with how medicine and lack of nutrition kills, basically. That, um, you know, heart disease and diabetes and, and cancer, so much of that they felt was related to nutrition or, and or chemicals in our food. 
Um, and so they just thought, you know, healing and healthful things should be more nutrition-based. I thought that was, I agree with that. And, and some of that, so, and that's been an interest of mine over the years. So uh, a lot of that wasn't terribly new to me. But um, I, I think it's well aligned with Michael Pollan's work in defense of food mm-hmm. and maybe Omnivore's Dilemma some too. But um, I, I thought it was, um, uh, I thought Pollan was conspicuously absent from this movie. Uh, I thought that was interesting. I kind of wonder what's going on with that. Um, but I could also see for some of the messages that were be given, to be given there, that were given in the movie, I know that Pollen would not, probably would not support. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, the, the overall thing is, is is that, you know, disease is going to be mitigated by diet, which I've advocated many times. Um, and uh, I've got all kinds of opinions down down this road. Uh, and and I, I you know I support the message of the movie. I I thought that the movie, as as a guy who makes crappy little YouTube videos, and I look at this movie, um, I could kind of see how it could be tough. I mean, I, I kind of want them. I wanted them to go to a lot of the statements that they made, and reword them to be movie quality statements rather than, you know statements more aligned with the stuff that I get in my YouTube. A lot of reasons, the reason why my YouTube videos aren't any better is it's like somebody says something that I think is compelling, I turn on the camera, and it's one shot. That's all it is. One shot, and now we're done. Whereas um, I would think that for a movie, if somebody's going to say something really compelling, it's like, okay, can you qualify that answer? I mean, you know, can you, can you rephrase that in such a way that it's 100% accurate as opposed to like... Um, you know, an allegory being presented as fact or um, something like that. I, I would have liked, I felt that there was a lot of stuff that was in the movie that would be easy for other people to pick apart. And then once there's like one thing in a movie that's easy to pick apart, then suddenly somebody says the whole movie is bad because of the one thing. Um, and so I would have liked it if they could have done that. Um, I think that... Uh, um, there's, there's some things I probably don't agree with in the movie, but for the most part I do. And I thought uh, one of the most powerful messages to come out of the movie, I think that anybody who might be concerned that they have cancer or if they've discovered that they have cancer or if they want to make sure that they don't get cancer, uh, you know, like if a lot of people they know are getting cancer, that they should watch this movie immediately. I think that's important, uh, just, just to know that it exists. And, and there was also an important message at the end where um, the guy is saying, you know, oh, oh, here's a really good one, too. So I have to say this one first. That is that um, this guy said something like, you know, if you're in a car accident and you've got broken bones and cuts and stuff like that and you're just a pile of goo, there's nothing better than the hospitals in the United States of America to get fixed up. Nothing better. First rate. But when it comes to disease... They're utterly awful. They're just pill pushers. That's all that they are. And, and these guys made a very compelling argument of how most disease can be cured, if that's the appropriate word, or more like the disease will stop existing. So it's not exactly cured. It's like the disease is only a symptom, really. A disease is a symptom of malnutrition. And, and the disease will evaporate with good nutrition. And um, I think that there are elements of what I believe is good nutrition 
that weren't even mentioned in the video. Um, but, you know, then again, I'm kind of like, I've got my own weird agenda that isn't a common agenda, so, of course, they haven't heard of it. Right, right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, a lot of what they talked about the locavores would really enjoy, and they did definitely have um, a raw food element to the movie, too, and and that's a part that, frankly, I don't know a lot about and, and would be interesting to learn more about. Um, and I... I think overall, you brought up a good point about making sure the statements were a little bit more accurate. I, th I think overall, quite a few of the people, um, I think all the people in the movie, I hadn't heard of before. And I think when there's kind of a celebrity name, you know, or, or a well-known author or whatever, a Michael Pollan or a, um, Andrew Weil, you know, it's it, it somehow, whether accurately or not, it lends more credibility to what's being talked about. I see now from, I, I could see how that could add something. I mean, like, for example, this podcast, people like to listen to this podcast because they're depending on me to sort stuff out. Uh -huh. So, okay, that doesn't mean that what I say is right, but it does mean to say that if I think that this is so, a lot of people will put more value in it than if somebody else says the opposite or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, yeah, I can see some of what you're saying, and I'm trying to still get used to this idea. Um, but uh, at the same time, I think the movie would have been 37% better if every statement uttered were fully qualified. Mm. I would have I appreciated it much. I think it would have been better. Um, for example, the thing where they were talking about with raw food, and and I think that's an interesting thing to talk about in a moment with, you know, a couple that we know of that went down raw food road. Mm -hmm. um, but with raw food, the guy I think the guy was saying something like, um, if you consume 49% raw food, then your body says, ooh, ick, 51% is not raw food. I'm going to treat this as like... Um, An invader. Yeah, invasive stuff that found its way down your pie hole. Yeah, he said it, your body would actually make white blood cells to f combat it. And then if it's, but if it's inverted, where it's 51% raw, then it's like, oh, no, that's cool. That's all fine. And I just kind of thought, I really, I'm very skeptical about that. I mean, I, I you know, um, and, and not uh, on several different levels, I'm skeptical. So, I mean, suddenly when a guy, yeah, anyway, so I'm, I'm really skeptical. Let's talk for a moment about raw food and what little we know about mm -hmm. raw food. And, and I know I have eaten a lot of raw food, and I've had a lot of people uh, tell me about uh, how wonderful it is and how good it is and how much I ought to be doing it. Fortunately, these people have not been nearly, I've, I've, not, I've yet to encounter a militant raw food person. Um, unlike with the vegan world, where I've had some people that were like, you know, hostile about how I need to be eating their way, I've never encountered anybody like that in the raw food world. Um, there's, they're, they're always like I, that. They're doing it; it's their thing that they think is good for them. Okay, good. Um, so there's a couple that were telling us their story about raw food, and I think that they did it for one or two years. 
and she is actually a chef, and she spent a whole bunch of time cooking. And apparently that's one of the downsides of raw food is that um, you spend a lot of time doing food prep. Yeah. Um, and, and you can't eat very local as raw food. That was one of the things that they struggled with yeah. was that when wintertime rolled around, they were bringing in a lot of food from thousands of miles away. Right, and that bothered them. That was, that was irritating them. Um, and I think local food uh, would be a, a good thing to make sure that we covered in this podcast. So uh, uh, I thought what I thought was interesting is is that if you were to eat a raw food diet for something like five to seven days, the both of these people felt like their IQ would go up twenty or thirty points, like they felt vibrantly healthy. Uh-huh. They had super energy, just amazingly awesome energy, and. Um, all of the things that seemed like frustrating problems became simple, trivial problems, and they were easy to master. And um, so there was there were these amazing benefits. And um, then uh, you would go to a friend's house, and your friend would say, "I knew you were coming, so I baked you a cake." with frosting and sugar and wheat, and it's baked. <laughs> or, or, you know, here, have a beer. Have a beer. Look, I bought you this beer because I knew you liked it a year ago. It's yeah. your favorite. Yeah. Or um, I got some, I, I went out and I, I dropped a hundred bucks on steaks, and they're out there on the Barbie right now. And um, so it's like this whole thing of, like, you know, what do you do? Do you flush all your friends down the toilet and say, we can't see you anymore because you're not one of us? Yeah. Um, socially, socially, they found it really challenging. I, I think from what the gal said, it sounded like it was more the time. I mean, she spent so much time cooking and chopping and grinding. Well, not cooking. Well, yeah, duh. <laughs> duh. so much time in the kitchen, chopping and grinding and preparing. I mean, there's a type of cooking to that food preparation that's not really using oh, heat. I, I, I don't know. know. Yeah. So. But the thing is, is that once in a while, to be a, to have a, to maintain a good relationship with a friend and to show your friend that, that you appreciate their effort and that you'll share this meal with them or whatever, you will share the meal with them. Right. And they say that then, like the whole next day, you are crashed. It's like you just feel like blah. You can't get out of bed. You have no energy. And, and you're basically recovering from it. And it's, it's kind of like a hard hit. And then it's like, okay, you could go back to the Western diet or some other, you know, normal people eating kind of thing and then you know get back to a normal groove in a few days or you can go back to raw food and in five to seven days get back to being a superhuman um, and and uh, with your superpowers of massive IQ <laughs> um, so it's it's like it's it's a sacrifice and it's a sacrifice and of course your friends have no idea that you made this sacrifice and you just make the best of it well, and I could see quite a few friends would and might try to help, but there's just, you know, that's 
I mean, I eat gluten and dairy-free, and I know how overwhelming that gets for certain people, my grandmother in particular. She's like, I don't know what to eat. Can you have a cracker? No, Grandma. You know? <laughs> I mean, she, she just gets so confused that going totally raw, I think even people who are pretty savvy about food allergies, they would have no idea what to make. So even if your friends know and are aware, it's, it's so strange for them. And, um, yeah, so the up and down and back and forth you were saying was really harsh on that. Yeah, so uh, it sounds like they did it for a year or two. I, I can't remember exactly how long. Um, and then and now they're in a state where they've, they've let it go. They've, they've, after trying for that long, and they loved it. Um, that the that they just that the need to have friends is bigger, and you just you need to and once in a while you know you need to get together with your friends and break bread or something. Well, and and not just that, but the time involved and the not being able to eat as locally as they would like. I mean, and right. these are people that grow a huge amount of their own food. They're very eco-minded. They're they're very passionate about health and the health of the earth and all of that. So, so They're very tied to their own community, yeah. and so they didn't want to, like, yeah. move to Costa Rica to do the right. raw food all the time thing. I suppose that if you live in camp raw food, then, then it might. Well, anyway, so there, there's our, so we're so going back to the movie. Going So there was our little venture off into raw foodville. Um, uh, now back back to the movie. I, I thought that, uh, the, um, well, so, so now you're you're pointing at the word local food on your little piece of paper there. Oh, I thought that's where you wanted and, to bring that uh, in. Well, no. I don't think that they talked about local food much in the movie. The only, the one guy, and, and I apologize, I forgot who he was, said talked about food being shipped in from everywhere. Right. And that, you know, the average miles that food travels is 1,500 miles, and it's by the time you pluck that apple or that head of lettuce off the supermarket shelf, it's a week old. And he said, you're lucky if you're getting 40% of the nutrients that it started out with. That is a good point. So so let me do my little local food spiel, and then we'll come back to the movie. Okay. And, and so first of all, I think that local food is indeed important, but not for the reason most people think. Most people think it's because of the fuel, because of the petroleum. And and um, just real quick, I I think that the math shows that the stuff that traveled 1,500 miles, as bizarre as this sounds, and I'm, I'm going to all do the math here in a moment, the stuff that traveled 1,500 miles will often, maybe more often than not, I'm going to say more often than not, more often than not, use less petroleum than the food that's local. And as in the, in the, in, and here's how you work it out. Um, first of all, when you go and you get those bananas for 50 cents a pound, and they came from 3,000 miles away, they traveled by boat, and they traveled by uh, semi-truck or train, and they um, traveled in a very fuel-efficient way because those guys who are doing the transportation are in, are in tough competition. And they are working their butts off to cut their fuel costs to the bone. And for those 18-wheelers, they get like eight miles to the gallon now. Well, and and it's the economy of scale. You have so much food being transported that the 
the economy of scale is there. It's so much right. less per banana. So, like, if so, um, a train is more efficient than an eighteen-wheeler, and a boat is more efficient than a train. Um, but like, if you just look at the eighteen-wheeler, the semi-truck, then um, that's a huge. I mean, look how enormous those things are. They are often more than half full. They're usually full, full. Yeah. And and um, they're packed. They're packed to the ceiling, all the way, and uh, they're getting eight miles of the gallon, <clears throat> and then um, they're full both ways. So they go and they deliver one thing one direction, and they pick something else up and they bring it back. Now, not always the case, but there's a fair amount of it. Now let's take a look at a farmer's market, and and then um, I've I've helped out many a booth at a farmer's market. And it was like this. You get this big old cargo truck. You, you don't even cover the floor of, of the, the back. And, and then you drive 40 miles in a rig that gets about eight miles to the gallon. <laughs> and, and then you get there, you do the farmer's market thing, and you sell half of what you brought. And then the other half you bring back. So your your truck is not full. It's not even big enough to hold as much cargo, but it gets the same mileage, and you carried it over and back for 40 miles. So I, I don't know. I sat down, and I did the math for trying to figure all this out, and I, I came up with, like, the stuff that's local actually used four times more fuel per 100 pounds than the stuff that came 1,500 miles. So, um, you know, I th buying local is indeed really, really important, but not for the fuel. I, you know, we, we've, let's, let's just leave, leave that out. And the thing that is important is that you can look the farmer in the eye and have a conversation with them and ask them the important questions. And what the important questions are is could probably fill a podcast on its own. Right. Well, and then you're getting fresher produce, you're supporting a local economy, and you're um, um, just getting healthier produce. And there's some things... That's a good point. You know, if you're getting local honey, you can help with your own allergies. There's just so many layers and layers of things why local is better. So I'm a locavore at heart. Right. I, and you know what? I think that's a big... Uh, getting it fresher is so important because a lot of stuff is being bred uh, to be able to last you know, a long time, and so then that stuff, I like how Pollen uh, describes it. He says, the reason why it lasts so long is because it's so nutritionally deficient that even the microbial things don't want to eat it. They don't, they don't recognize <laughs> yeah. it as food. Right. That's why it lasts so long. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, the the stuff that rots right away, that's, but it's like the other thing that he pointed out was there's like a, a relationship between flavor you know, like a lot of times when something's really nutrient-dense, it's the same gobbledygook in it that also makes it extra delicious. Right. Like you get those raspberries that are so crazy delicious. And that's why stuff from the garden typically tastes better is because not only is it fresher, but it's something that's going to spoil crazy fast because whatever it makes it so yummy just does not keep on the shelves. Yeah, lots of good reasons right. for good food. So there's there's a result of all this food we eat. So we're back to the movie again, and um, uh, this the, one of the guys kept talking about vitamins, 
and uh, oh, I want to complain about that woman. That, so they had this this fossil of a woman on there, who I thought was actually in many ways a good testament. She looked vibrant and healthy, full of piss and vinegar, and she, you know, seventies or something, you know. And I thought, well, that's a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, which ties into one of the things somebody else said. They said, uh, you know, if you want to be a millionaire, uh, you should you should uh, go and have conversations with millionaires. Uh, don't don't go down to the local bar where there's the, the you know the bums are hanging out that always talk about being a millionaire but have never been a millionaire. So then they had that 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 woman on there who um, was was really old, but she was full of full of information, and clearly you know. Uh, I, I think is a testament of you know practicing what she preached and and now she's gotten to be exceptionally vibrant and healthy at some old age. So, um, but you didn't like what she said about soil. Well, so she was saying something about how about like minerals. You know, it's about the minerals in the soil. About how conventional farmers only care about in about the uh, the minerals NPK. And I thought, well, wait a minute. You know, these aren't minerals. You know. Have a show a little, you know, if you're going to make a movie, be a little accurate. I mean, for a YouTube video, okay, all right. She said minerals, big deal. You know, we only did it in one take. <laughs> so what do you expect? <laughs> but for a movie, I kind of say, okay, you said minerals. And, like, you know, nitrogen, for example, is a gas. So elements would have been accurate. I would have gone with elements. And... um and she was also trying to say that most conventional farmers don't care about the uh, the other. Or, I, mean, I think what she meant to, see, meant to say was elements. Right. And and I and I beg to differ. I I know that a lot of conventional farmers are uh, keeping close track on iron and manganese and and boron, um, depending on their area, and they get their soil tests done, and they are focusing on that stuff because they want to maximize. Because it's like. Wow, you know, if if you're deficient in boron, you go out and you get a bag or two of solubor. You know, you're you're gonna it's gonna make a big difference in, in right. your yield. There's there's a lot of soil science that's happening even with people who use chemical fertilizers. So right. So, but the uh, you know the point. Well, so I felt that in two ways she was incorrect. Mm-hmm. And so this is what I do is I bitch about what other people have to say. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'll, I'm doing my thing. I'm doing, yeah. doing what I'm doing what the podcasty people want yeah. me to do. Right? Yeah. Well, right. So overall it was interesting and, and it made some good points. Yes. And, and I, and, the, and another interesting point was the one where they said, uh, um, I, I thought this guy told this awesome story, and he said that um, these people, uh, they, there was there, there was uh, there was this family, and then I think it was the, a woman in the family was so depressed, so on the edge of suicide, that she just would would tuck herself into a corner of one room and stay there like day and night, and I probably weep or something. I don't know. It just sounded all, it sounded miserable. And then, um, uh, so somebody came to her as a nutritionist and said, um, you need niacin. Up your niacin, like, a lot. Like, uh, uh, ten times the USRDA. 
And and so she did. And next thing you know, she's sitting at the table and she's having great success with it. All she did was in, increase niacin. Yay! And of course, she's hopped up on all kinds of drugs and she's seeing a psychiatrist and all this stuff. So then they uh, they go in to see the psychiatrist and it's like, guess what? She took some niacin and now now wow, we're so happy. Things are so good and. Definitely the road to improvement. Now we're like talking about maybe she's going to get her life back and everything. And and then the 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 doctor, Doctor Pills, says, I don't know if you should be doing that. I mean, uh, excessive amounts of nice and that uh, that could be bad, you know. So they, I mean, there's no he, he, the, the guy's just making a wild ass guess, right? And and so she stops taking the niacin. And then, she's, then she goes back to her corner, and that's where they left it. She left her in the corner. They left, the whole family. That was cool. The doctor said, uh, who knows, excessive niacin, you know, could be bad. Um, so the guy makes this point of, like, okay, so over the last 30-some years, there, there's been 10 cases where they thought that taking excessive vitamins may have led to death. And it's like full of maybes, possibly is not really sure. But out of out of thirty some years to have ten, how I thought many? it was twenty three years, but but I slept through parts. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. All right. But, so so then. But I'm not, still, that's uh, not very many deaths. Right. And they talked about the hundreds of thousands of deaths related to medical treatments. Well, in right. The beginning of the month. hundreds of thousands. It's the yeah. third leading cause of death in the United States is screwy medicine but yep. the thing that this guy was saying is like okay like you know there's this 10 over however many decades and and so less less than a half a person per year yeah and from and vitamin from vitamin excess excess vitamins right and and then at the same time how many and so his point was in this particular case how many people per year die from suicide you know and and so here's this woman suicidal on the edge, yeah, and and it's like, um, and then the higher level of nice, and, and it's like, so odds are she's probably going to die of suicide. It's looking that way, and on the flip side, little niacin could make things right as rain, yeah. but but um, ignorance says better play it safe, and and then of course a big part of the message of the movie, the whole movie was. You know, there's just not money to be made in, in vitamins because you can't patent it. It's already been around. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And I liked the idea of the less medicine. I'm definitely a big proponent of that. So that message of the movie did resonate with me. And if you have less medicine, you have less medicine passing through your body. Oh, right, which brings us to... Me being quoted in the local newspaper. Right. In the Missoulian. In the Missoulian. Right? Yeah. So what was that? So we've got this organization called uh, the Mud Project, which I think is a really awesome name. And I've taught workshops through Mud. And what past. does Mud stand for? The Missoula Urban Demonstration Project. Yeah. So then there's apparently some national outfit that put out this challenge for. Um, people to build a house or, or something to, to, to set something up so that way uh, uh, all of the stuff that is generated by the house does not leave the property. 
and all of the energy needs of the house are met on the property. So you don't have wires going in, you don't have pipes going in, and you don't have pipes coming out. So like everything that they need is on the property. The only exception being was food, and I think Mud was saying that they wanted to even put a big dent in the food thing. So all the water that you use would have to be somehow captured from the sky. Um, and and uh, um, all of your pee and poop would have to be somehow managed on the land. And um, so anyway, <clears throat> they wanted to do this in Missoula. So there's like only two houses that have apparently met this criteria, and it's an urban thing. It's an urban challenge. And so um, there's a mailing list for talking about government stuff, and they talked about it there, how MUD wanted to do this, and apparently the city of Missoula, uh, the health department guy said, um, I don't think so. Because w what they were concerned about is a composting toilet. Was a composting toilet. And, and they said they, basically that the, the summary was stink and flies. And... Um, I uh, and then somebody uh, contacted me and asked me to reply to it. So I I replied and said, um, you know, you're right. It is entirely possible to set one of these systems up so it's you know stink and flies, and the, the concern is completely valid. And at the same time, it's possible to set one up so that there is no stink, no flies. In fact. Less, I, well, I didn't say this in the day. I said there's no stink, no flies. So what I said was no stink, no flies, <clears throat> and it's actually cleaner for air and water than the sewage treatment plant. And so I, I would like to think that when the health department um, responds to something like this, that their response is not one of ignorance but one of knowledge and intellect in this space, which it seems like it would be their job to be aware, and to say, here's how to do it the right way. And the reason why we don't like your idea is because what you're proposing is the wrong way. So um, I would think that that would be the response, as opposed to just um, uh, saying uh, stink and flies for every proposal. So anyway, I got into the newspaper, but, but just... Real quick, I, I, I think that the um, the important thing is is that um, these systems can be made to smell less and and uh, and let's leave out the whole flies thing. I think I think the flies element is very important, but let's leave it out for just a second. Let's just talk about smell. If 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 you go into a bathroom, in fact, let's let's make up this guy. We'll call him. We'll call him. Um, uh, Ferd. Ferd goes into the bathroom. Big old Ferd. And then Ferd comes out of the bathroom, and the entire house now has this odoir of Ferd. Specifically the odoir of Ferd's butt. And and now how is it that you are able to smell anything at all? How does your olfactory sense work? And it has to do with little teeny tiny airborne bits of poop floating in the air and sticking to the inside of your nose. Yes, that's right. I said it. You have Ferd's poop sticking inside of your nose. 
That's how you can smell it. That's how smell works. Now, um, let's suppose that we've got a composting system, and somehow there is a little, let's, let's just start simple. Let's, let's work within what people can understand to begin with. Let's say there's a teeny tiny fan inside the box. So that the air pressure inside the box where the composting toilet is, is lower than the air pressure in the rest of the bathroom. Therefore, air is constantly moving from the bathroom into the composting toilet box and out of the house. Now, when Ferd goes in there and creates the, the Odois de Ferd, then uh, he, and he comes out of, the, out of the bathroom, there is no smell to be had. I would think that anybody's analysis would say, wow, you mean I don't get little bits of Ferd poop in my nose? That sounds like a more sanitary solution. I'm surprised you didn't say Ferd's turds. Ferd's turds. That sounds good. I was trying to, I was actually going to go with the name Bob because it's just such a generic name. But actually, several of the people on the list are named Bob. So you can't, so can't do Bob. Ferd sounds like it's Ferd. for Manford. I remember when I, in, in high school math, there was, uh, my, my math teacher was an awesome math teacher. All of her math examples were like story problems featuring Ferd and Gert. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that sounds awesome. I, I was surprised at some of the comments on that article. You had people just acting like composting toilets is going back to outhouses and how can you be so insane, to, you know, when we've got sewers and septic tanks, why in the heck would you compost poop? Well, first I want to talk about how can I be so insane, and I want to say it's really easy. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's taken years of practice. <laughs> so uh, um, I I think let's we'll, let's talk about outhouses. I I think it's it's quite possible to make an outhouse that is far cleaner than any septic system. And we've talked about this on Permies a lot yeah. uh, with the dry outhouse thread. We've got a big long thread right. talking about dry outhouses versus tree bogs. Well, I'd just like to say that in case anybody is new and hasn't been out at Permies and hasn't been considering a composting toilet, I was kind of shocked to learn that septic tanks, they don't always protect the groundwater. They, they, they can pollute the groundwater. Right. And, and, and they're not always a very good system. And, that, and then also our, our sewage uh, and sewer treatment, you know, that requires all of that water to be treated, and it's treated as best it can, but then a lot of times it's dumped out into our, our waterways again. So, so you've got a huge... Um, water issue with septic and sewage treatment. Uh, you, true and true. And, and so, um, I, you know, I, I, uh, I think a, an important thing to keep in mind is um, why did they go, why do, why do all these government agencies go out and require certain houses to put in a septic system? And it has to do with the fact that they outlawed the, uh, the outhouse you know, and and I think that uh, the reason why the outlawed the outhouse is that people were out there building um, outhouses that were of a horrible design. Right. They were built poorly. Right. And then and then it's like, okay, then why do certain government offices go in and um, uh, say, okay, for this neighborhood, 
we no longer allow people to uh, do um, septic systems. You know, you're not allowed to do a drain field in the septic tank anymore. It's banned in your area. You have to hook up to the city sewage system. And um, the reason is, is that, you know, they were funking the water. They're funking the drinking water. And so, um, uh, therefore, they funk the drinking water. Let's just not forget that. Um, and then, yeah, now we, the, the, the sewage system, so pick any city in the United States and probably, um, you know, we were talking earlier about the one that they're trying to put in in your community. Right. And, and how it's been this massive project. And then we, we met somebody who was working on it. Right. And that somebody uh, who was hired to work on it said, you know what, I doubt they'll ever finish that project. And I mean literally never, ever finish it because um, as soon as they get a certain ways along, they pass a new federal law that says that a place like that has to do this other stuff too. And and then it's like, so then they're remodeling it. Right. And So it's a wastewater treatment plant right. that was built in the suburb of Seattle. And... Um, people were up in arms saying, not in my backyard, not in my backyard. And, uh, you know, the more people we have, the more toilets that flush, the more wastewater treatment we need. Um, absolutely. And at the same time, it's like such a complicated space that if you try and manage this at such a, man a massive level, I mean, it's got huge complexity. It does. And so, um, and, and it's like, you know, and it still isn't right. I mean, even the very best systems are still not perfect. So um, bring this back to mud where it's like, okay, you know what? I, I don't even know what composting toilet system mud is proposing. Um, but I do know this, is that it's, it's quite possible that um, you could have a urine-diverting system where your urine goes one way and urine is sterile. So your urine goes one way and your poop goes another way, and um, you can put, you can have a, a, like I've seen barrel systems where you're basically pooping in a barrel, and it's it, it's kind of like in this part of your house where there's, you know, barrels can be moved in and out, and it, it's kind of like uh, in a box, uh, and, and uh, yeah, you can make the air pressure inside of there lower than the rest of the house, so that way air is constantly moving um, uh, the, the stale air of the house is moving in there and then out of the house, so that way uh, you don't smell anything. Um, and then um, the poop goes into a barrel where it sits for one year. And then the pathogens, any possible pathogen, well, okay, let me, I need to qualify that further. Nearly, nearly all pathogens, there are a couple that could outlive a year, but it's so rare. So incredibly rare. And you rotate the barrels so that they do sit. For and they sit year. for a year. And then, yeah, you rotate the barrels. And they kind of start to break down inside the barrel. Yeah. Some people can even, if you, if you do your system just right, you know, um, there, there are certain systems that you can set up where it's more of an outdoor, like a, like a dry outhouse, where you just never fill the hole. You, uh, it's like the things break down in there faster than people putting stuff in there. So um, you, the hole never fills. Um, but, uh, but, okay, going back to the barrel, it's possible to set the barrel aside for a year to make sure that, that nearly all pathogens that could possibly be there, you know, um, expire. And then in the springtime, you bring it out and you, you uh, put this, this that which is now compost that has no odor, but it gets to be a year-old compost with no odor, 
um, put it out underneath um, uh, cottonwood trees or poplar trees, which will just totally consume it. Just, just eat, chomp, and it's gone. Um, and and uh, now um, uh, it's been totally managed. We don't have anything going into the groundwater that's a problem. Um, we don't have anything. I mean, we, we've totally taken care of this problem, and it's actually cleaner than m- most. I imagine there can be some cleaner than, than most um, uh, uh, sewage treatment plants and, and definitely cleaner than most septic systems. Well, and then if you're you're putting it into a plant-based area, you know, that all that, you know, after it's totally composted and there's not pathogens, there's not an issue, there's not the odor, but then there's still the fertilizer part of it is eaten up by the plants and, and it's not going to reach any groundwater that way either. Right. So, Because um, then the issue is NPK. I mean, we've yeah. got two, two things we're concerned about. We're concerned about pathogens getting down into our drinking water mm-hmm. and we're also concerned about excessive nutrients, right. you know, getting down into our drinking water. We don't want either of those things. Right. So it's like how do we mitigate this stuff. And so right, um, uh, right now people uh, will go out in the wintertime when most of your growies are dormant and they will in the wintertime um, uh, poop and, and it goes out to the septic tank and then they'll do a bunch of laundry and wash the dishes and take a shower and it just rinses all that poopy water out into the drain field. And, um, and it's like where, you know, for the first 18 inches of soil, it's pretty dormant because it's pretty cold out there. Now, granted, there's bacteria a little lower in the in the soil that's so, supposed to take care of that, despite it being so cold. But it's you know not as active. And then you've got the problem of now you've got stuff, poopy water, that the bacteria missed, heading for your drinking water. And if you think that that's not true then, you know, I want to ask you, if it's not true, why has there been so many systems demanding that people pay 20 grand to get connected to the sewage treatment plant when they've already got a perfectly viable um, septic system in place? Well, and, and even if you have a septic system that you're convinced, for whatever reason, it's not going to go near groundwater, it's not going to go near well water, even if you're convinced, you still need to have that septic tank emptied and maintained and that drainage field can get clogged and have to be torn up. I mean, you still have a lot of maintenance, I mean, at the very least, maintenance to that septic tank that, you know, you wouldn't have to do as much with a composting toilet. Well, and I think that's, it brings up another really fascinating, oh, yeah, 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 uh, septic system getting drained. I think that if uh, um, people are aware of good septic system management, um, I've heard of people that have had a, a septic tank for like 20, 30 years, and they've never had it emptied. And and it has a lot to do with kind of knowing what to go in there. I mean, I would imagine that if you have children, it might need to get emptied because you're going to find all kinds of Barbie heads and army men and, and things like that that just don't break down well inside of uh, a septic system <clears throat> um, that went for a, a ride down that, that swirl, the, the swirly water ride. <laughs> but um, that's another story for another day. Uh, but I, I've, uh, so many people, um, they have a septic system and they're using antibacterial soap. Um, those two don't go together. 
you're saying, uh, I want the bacteria that are going to, like, break down all the poop in the septic tank. I want them to die and not do it and let the septic tank fill up. You know, um, so I think it's good to be uh, aware of, of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so composting toilets, they can be a good idea if they're done the right way. Um, and it, and we've touched on quite a few water issues, and that could take up, I was hoping we'd get to more of the water issues in this that I know sometimes don't come up with with your other talks about irrigation, and, and you're such a fan of hugel culture to reduce irrigation and, and not a fan of rain barrels. And, and, and that ties in a little bit to some of these water issues that I was hoping we'd get to today, but we might well, have to save those for another day. Uh, well, let's, let's, go ahead and, let's go ahead and do it. It takes me extra time to fiddle with it, but let's, let's go ahead and, and, and touch into some of this stuff. Okay, so we talked... I think the idea of septic tanks and sewage and and where that water really ends up at the end, how it can end up in our water systems, in our creeks, in our well water. Um, I know in the Puget Sound area, all of our, our sewer water, after it's treated, ends up back in the lakes and in Puget Sound. And And if it's not treated fully, that's a problem. And in fact, 20, 30 years ago or more, the sewage water just went out there without being treated very well. And we had a very polluted lake and a very polluted Puget Sound. And there's still areas that need to be cleaned up. So, you know, and related to that is not just sewage and septic water, but storm water. And and if you think about rain barrels, rain barrels are one way of capturing storm water. You know, and then we also have the gray water, too. But, I mean, in an urban area, any water that runs off a hard surface is considered stormwater, right? Right. So the water that runs off your roof, and you might collect it in a rain barrel and and use that for irrigation, um, sometimes that's, even that's polluted. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you've got that that three-tab, Roof stuff. Composite. Yeah. Composite roof. Or it's got kind of like bits of sand glued to tar. Then um, I, you know, think about collecting the first, uh, you know, as the rain gets started. And then it's like not only do you have the, the, the tar factor on that and the sand, but then it's like how much grime has been blowing around in the air for the last week assuming it hasn't rained in the last week, it's now stuck on your roof. And when when the first quart of water comes down out of your spout into your rain barrel, collect that into a quart jar and, like, uh, let's let's talk about possibly drinking that. Well, and I don't think it's so much the the stuff blowing around, from what I've heard. It's more the chemicals that make that composite that just come right off. So there's that. Well, there's, uh, so there's that, plus the dust, plus as the rain falls for the first time, I mean, whatever air pollution that you have, mm-hmm. that air, that rain that's falling is kind of sort of washing the air. Yeah. So the particulate that's in the air is being concentrated in these raindrops. Now, um, you know, in Mollison's book, he's got like a little diagram of like, you know, divert the first gallon or two, mm. you know, off to someplace else. Interesting. Uh-huh. And then the rest of it you capture. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's all kinds of ways to be able to filter the water that you capture, and and so we can you know talk about that too. And 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 I do think that there's things that can be done, but it's like if you just want to say, oh, I'm going to take the spigot from my roof and ride it to a rain barrel, um, yeah, that's okay. You've collected water, you've saved water, that makes for for you know uh, less, and, and that was water that was originally going to just go out onto your grass. Um, and and thus it wasn't going to be going into the stormwater system. Well, it depends. depends right. Okay. It depends. Yeah. Um, and there's and, and I've even I've got I've got some video footage which I haven't made into a video yet of, of a place in Portland where they took the stuff that's on the streets and they routed it to where they've got a bunch of plants which are going to try and deal with that water, right. which could have a lot of pollutants in it from the street. Right. Um, but I, you know, right. I I like the idea of like let's clean water. Let's take anything that's dirty and try and clean it. I like that idea, and I also like the idea of like uh, you know you were saying earlier that that there was a lot of nimbyism, not in my backyard. And I think that um, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for somebody who's going to stand up and say, in my backyard. I'm going to deal with my to deal with my shit in my backyard. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I've got pollution landing on my roof, and I'm going to clean that water. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think that that is if you're going to really clean that water and so clean that you're going to drink it. Wow, that is impressive. Well, and Toby, um, one big thing that I just want to interject is Toby talks about using uh, baked enamel steel roof material right. um, so that you're not getting the toxins from, you know, even a cedar roof. A lot of times people treat those to be antifungal or that has funk in it, so um, or it can grow a lot of funk in it. So that the baked enamel steel roof, if you're collecting, um, way cleaner, yeah, yeah, way cleaner. You're still going to get funk from dust and yeah. just when the rain falls and cleans the dirty air. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know that that I I would still want to mitigate, but but. Uh, um, I, I, I think that the best thing to do is, and what are you going to do with the water? Really, that's a, that's another big question. I. You know, and then plus if you're going to do the barrels and you're going to filter it and you're going to do all that stuff. I mean, now you're out there buying stuff and you're putting your time down a path. And I kind of wonder if there's, like, better ways to, to, to spend your time and money. Now, I like the idea of uh, buying less water. That's that's a good thing. Just just overall, I mean, and, and plus it's like here in, here in the Missoula area, um, Water is cheap. Water is crazy cheap. I mean, you know, we have two rivers meeting here. We've got gobs of water. Heaps of water is not a problem, and we're in the desert. <laughs> and and then in the Seattle area, isn't that crazy that here's Seattle, famous for rain, famous for being so soggy, and yet they are struggling with water. We can be, yeah. We, we've had lots of flooding and all of this kind of stuff, but what you have is, is so many of our waterways get more and more polluted. You have agricultural runoff into the rivers. You have, you know, our reservoir and, and watershed system that we get water from, it relies on a significant amount of snowpack each winter to feed the main reservoir. And if we don't get enough snow, we're 
you know, in kind of a water concern mode just because so many of our other waterways are not safe for drinking and not and not part of the infrastructure that cleans the water to make it safe for drinking. So um, there's there's a ton of infrastructure involved. It's it's both the drinking water and the wastewater. Um, you know, the goal is to conserve, cons- conserve, conserve. Even in Seattle, it's it's similar to power conservation because with population growth and increased demand and increased usage, more and more treatment plants are needed, more filtering and water treatment for the potable water, more power stations are needed for power. You know, that infrastructure doesn't come cheap, especially these days. So all of the utility companies are, you know, wanting wanting people to use less. You know, um, based on something you just said, Combined with the movie that we watched last night, and you know, mm-hmm. I'm using the word "we" loosely here. Right, right. Uh, I, you know, I had a, I had a, 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 a kind of a disturbing thought, which I'm sure has been presented by many people many times in the past, and that is the whole thing about um, when when you examine um, wastewater treatment stuff. And and I know that like here in the Missoula, I was visiting with somebody who did a lot of the lab analysis on um, the stuff, the sludge that came from the Missoula wastewater treatment and was used in eco compost, one of the more popular composts in the area. And I'm a, I'm a powerful advocate against commercial compost. But um, one of the things I said to him is like, well, what about all the medications that people were taking and it ended up in that sludge? And um, and he was kind of like, oh yeah, you're right, you know. I mean, just to be able to measure that stuff can be an enormous challenge, because a lot of that stuff is it's like we're talking about, you know, parts per billion, where you know it's like it, it has a major impact at levels that can that's very difficult to even detect with you know thousands of dollars being paid to laboratories to detect it. So it's kind of like, um, uh, so then it kind of becomes this whole thing, whereas um, uh, if we collectively use less medication, then so many of our collective problems become easier, Right. which now means that maybe I should have said anything because then people are going to be banging on my door telling me what I can and can't do because of the collective good. <laughs> Um, Well, I I think it's really easy to forget. I think, you know, I'm thinking of some of the comments against the composting toilet at MUD. And And I know how surprising it was to me to hear, oh, septic tanks, sewage treatment, they're not the answer. You know, I think we get a modern society and we flip a switch for a light and we turn on the faucet and we have clean water. I think it's really easy to take all of that for granted. Uh, and not that we need this whole collective rule situation, but I think um, per, uh, taking personal responsibility for your own use and your own waste and your own health um, and even making little small steps towards all of that can make a big difference. And you're, you're furrowing your brow at that. <clears throat> well, you said the word waste, you know, our own waste. Yes. And, and, you know, I think in Jenkins' Humanure book, I, I thought he had, well, there's a lot that I don't agree with with Jenkins in his book. There's a lot that I do agree with. 
And one of the things that I do agree with is he didn't like referring to it as waste. Oh, very good. Because, um, you know, an enormous portion of the world's population sees that as valuable fertilizer. Yeah. And, and so, um, uh, and I think, I think that there's something to be said for that. Although, one of the things that Jenkins also said is that he didn't like the idea that people were becoming so poopophobic. This is one of the areas where I disagree with him. I think people should should um, maintain a good, strong, healthy relationship with poopophobia. Uh-huh. Let's, you know, we should understand it and and deal with it properly, you know, and you know, show it the respect that it deserves, so that way it gets managed right. properly. Um, but I'm not I'm not sure where we were going earlier, but but you know, cleaner water overall. Right, and and I think less water usage overall. I mean, I think one of the big problems we have with a, whether it's a septic system or a sewage system is that we put poop in there, and then we go and we run 500 gallons of water over it. So now we've got like this this um, poop Kool Aid, and and it's kind of like um, now try and. Fix it. Now try and process it. Yeah, or you can have enough bacteria to get at all of it in that amount of water. Yeah, I hope you brought your scuba gear, little bacteria. Yeah. Um, uh, And so I just kind of think, boy, you know, it's it's something where um, uh, I, you know, Art Ludwig is really he's the king of this space, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. and he's got two books out right now. One is about just water storage. Uh-huh. And one is about gray water stuff. Uh-huh. Just his stuff is so good. He is, in my opinion, he is the leader. He's if if he and I were to have a difference of opinion on anything, I I would have to concede to to him. And um, really, I think that you know the way that we're doing all this stuff is like. Um, yeah, problematic. I mean, look at how we have to keep passing laws. I, I know that somebody was once telling me like 15 years ago about, you know, you bring up some kind of item before the city council and it's it costs 100 bucks and they'll debate it for weeks. But um, you bring up something about, oh, the, uh, the sewage treatment plant wants another $87 million. They just say, okay, because they don't understand it. They don't want to understand it. They don't, you know, and so it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, this is something where um, because so many people have avoided the whole topic, then it's, it's become a mess and, and not as good as it should be. For 2011, this should not be a big deal. Well, and I I would like the word to get out there to more just to typical urban, suburban Americans. Who knows? Maybe the rural rural folks are a little more savvy about some of this if they have been trying to be more off-grid or more self-sustainable. But, uh, you know, the idea of using gray water um, or, and or sending gray water through, through um, little filtering systems, filtering garden systems and allowing that water to go out into your garden areas or, or other gray water systems that you would know more about from Art Ludwig's stuff than I would. But but there's there's a whole rich area there. Um, but I know before we started the podcast, we talked of a really incredibly simple thing when you're talking about the massive amounts of water going into septic systems or sewage systems. And a lot of that is just from flushing pee. Right, right. So I, you know, we were kind of talking about how it would probably be good if 
Um, you know, and that kind of lines up with we were talking about poopophobia. Yeah. And you right. should be poopophobic. On the other hand, um, pee is sterile, and and it's like um, and it, we 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 should be um, becoming more aware of how uh, of that. And 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 how to how to better deal with pee. I mean, we we talk about it, uh, um, and and it, this is something I've never heard anybody mention or seen anybody mention before. But um, uh, men peeing in the sink, and it's and as much as that's a disgusting thing for everybody, I think I would like to take this moment to say, why is it disgusting? Let's explore this for a moment. I mean. We, we we talk about the idea of a, of a guy peeing in the sink instead of peeing in the toilet. If he pees in the toilet, like let's say it's a standard American toilet, and he goes and he pees in it, there is splatter. And and so now you've got toilet water and pee on the guy and on the floor and on the toilet. It's not a lot, but there is splatter. And And then versus in the sink... Uh, plus, you flush a standard toilet, that's three gallons of water. And in the sink, then, A, splatter is almost completely eliminated. And then you use, what, like a quarter cup of water to follow the pee to, to kind of rinse things out? Right. So now you've used a tremendous, much less water. Next thing is, is like, you know, we should, I'd, I'd like to think that maybe as much as I'm going to have so many people being so, like they're, they're turning off this podcast. <laughs> They've already turned it off and left. And like, I'm not going to listen to anything else this guy ever has to say because he's crazy. Um, <clears throat> I, I think it would be good if over the next five to ten years if people became less weird about people peeing outside, you know, and and um, that, that seems to me like that should be something that's totally okay. And it, it's a huge um, source of fertilizer. And and as you said, it's sterile. Um, it's just so rich with stuff that it does attract the microbes and all of that stuff immediately. So if it's not spread or or put with enough um, carbon, um, it can become smelly or, or a problem. But Right, right. You know just because it is so rich. So yeah, it's it's, it's it's microbial purina microbial chow. Yeah. And and so uh, yeah, I, I think that if you go out and, and a lot of people a lot of fellow fellows will pee on the compost pile. Um, I know that right now there's a bunch of people in the eco world and we see them talking about it at permies dot com where they'll pee in a cup inside and then they'll carry it out to the compost pile or put it on their lawn or whatever. Um, and we've got a big thread at permies.com where women are uh, uh, talking about peeing outside and um, the, uh, the, the issues and challenges, and it seems like there's been a lot of growth in that space. Um, uh, and um, I, I, I do think that there are some things to be aware of. I think if you go outside and you pee outside in the wintertime, there won't be any smell, but I, I I worry about that going down to the groundwater. But on the other hand, it's like, hell, people have cattle and horses peeing outside all winter on the same ground, and dogs and cats, and and, and plus, let's not forget that the, uh, the deer come through and they pee on the ground, and then the birds come through and they crap on the ground. And, um, and so it's like there's already a lot of that going on, but there's so many people in cities that that could get taken too far. Yeah. There was a bizarre thread 
on permies, and I don't know whatever happened to it, but somebody had come up with something like, like uh, apparently, you know, uh, powering your car with hydrogen via water was, had all these challenges and it wasn't getting worked out really well, but P was something that, that worked out amazingly well, and they were talking about, like, doing, powering your commute to work and back in a car using nothing but your P for that day. That might have been in meaningless drivel. I think I remember that thread. Oh, yeah. No, I think it was in the alternative energy forum. Okay. I, I think okay. so. I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's just getting started, but it is interesting. I, I, but the, the, the key is, is that, um, you know what it would be? Because, like, one of the big industrial wastes that we have is wood chips. And, that, and they try and put it in the compost or it has all kinds of problems. But you know what? Um, what, about the, what about the Jean Payne technique? where you'll get a massive mountain of wood chips, and it will break down and compost if you mix in some manures and whatnot. Well, what if you get a massive mountain of wood chips, and you just peed on it, you know, throughout the winter? It would probably generate enough methane and enough uh, heat to heat your home for just, I mean, just from the composting action of it heating. That's what the John Payne method does. Right. I would think that would be fascinating. And the wood chips would hold all the nutrients, and then in the next summer, then you could dig them out and, and go put them on your garden. Right, right. It would already be breaking down and composting. Right. And I, I just hope people become more aware of how easy some of this stuff to do can be, you know? And, and just think about, like you said, peeing in the sink or peeing in the shower or peeing outside. I mean, I think a lot of people see peeing outside and, and, and using that as more of a fertilizer is a partial solution to what um, some people are calling the peak phosphorus crisis, you know. I, I, I don't know. I That's thought it was interesting. Thing. A lot of women were talking about wearing long dresses and no panties, and then the idea is is that for them, they can be more discreet about peeing outside than, than men can be. And so while a, women, a lot of women are saying, oh, no, I can't do it because it's, it's a woman, everybody will know what I'm doing or whatever, and it's like, well, apparently, you know, it's actually easier for women than it is for men to just go out into the garden or onto the lawn. And grass, grass is going to just eat that up, you know. And so uh, we've got a thread on permies where we talk about poop beasts, like what would you plant next to an outhouse? And, um, uh, and what's not mentioned in that thread would be grass because the root system for grass isn't going to be deep enough to find the, uh, the, the, the hole. But, but, you know, if you're going to go out and pee on something, pee on grass. Grass just is a nitrogen pig. It'll just suck that pee right up. So and the important thing is, is to always pee in a different spot. You know, try to, try to keep moving around. Yeah. But uh, pee on your garden, that's fine. Um, there, I have met two people who use fresh poop in their garden, and i got to say I'm against that. I, I think that that would lead to a lot of problems. Of course, those people have gone, you know, one, one's gone nine years and is still alive, and then the other one has gone decades and is still alive. Um, and so uh, maybe I'm wrong about it or maybe it's, you know, working for them for a variety of reasons, but I'm, it's, I'm, I'm going, I choose to be a nervous Nelly in that space. I think that's wise. I, yeah, I think, I think it's a space I, I choose to not even think about right now. 
but I think to go out and, and, and pee on uh, the stuff that you're going to eat um, is, is fine. In fact, um, there's that book, Liquid Gold, where and then, and then didn't we read a web page where some woman was like curing all her ails by it just was it's too much you know, oh, it's, it's yeah, probably even too much there. for this podcast right we won't go there let's We're, just say it's safe <laughs> yes yes we did read that web page but yeah that's that, that's for advanced people <laughs> i don't think i think we even elected to not make a link to it out of permies because it was like that's just too much what yeah i i like the idea of building awareness even if people initially say i, I think the majority of your listeners are totally up to speed on on all of this kind right. of stuff um i typically walk in circles where it's more suburban urban people who are not as savvy with this kind of stuff and I really like the idea of even if they're thinking oh I can't pee in a sink uh, just the idea of being more more aware that you know they can't even pee in a sink let alone peeing outside but the idea of being aware that we don't modern society doesn't have all the solutions and some of our supposed solutions have created more problems so I just hope people understand that and, and don't take things for granted. When people are choosing to use less water, the thing that's more important to me is that they're putting less water through the septic system or through the sewage system mm-hmm. because, you know, those, those systems will work better if there's less water in them, less clean water in them. They'll be able to be more efficiently deal with the stuff that they're designed to deal with. And, and so they'll just work better. That means that, means that our groundwater ends up cleaner. Right. And so um, then, you know, uh, if, but if you're going to use a bunch of water to water your lawn or something like that, I mean, we could talk about that too, how you can el- totally eliminate your irrigation needs for lawn and garden through a variety of techniques, which we, we covered on Jack's show right. not long ago. Right. Um, but I think this covered some important topics about water use that is, is really outside of what you typically talk about. So I, I really like being able to bring your thoughts around to some of these issues. Right. Well, we covered some amazing things. And, and so, um, I don't know, that Food Matters video, I think that uh, I, I, I rated a, a 6 out of 10, maybe even a 7. Um, I think that there's a lot of important stuff in there. But it, it does seem to, to strike me as the quality of one of my YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and then moving, uh, also summarizing, composting toilets are an amazing idea if they're done the right way. And it can be done the wrong way. And I think yeah. it's something that, that's worth exploring. And I think that I think that what MUD is proposing to do, I think it's that they can blaze a trail and set a demonstration of it doing the right, doing it the right way and that they will be cleaner than the people next door that are connected to the sewage system. Right, right. And I think that's a mind-bender for people. And I um, maybe not a lot of your listeners, but uh, a lot of average American Joes. You know, and I think that's good. I think it's good to get people to think about their water use and their um, fertilizer. You know, I, I think a good point is that when you, like if you were to take the entire city of Missoula, 85,000 people live in here, that um, it's, it's possible that 1% would totally botch um, a, a system like this, botch a, a, a composting toilet system like this. And, and in which case, you know, that's enough 
to raise concern about doing it at all for anybody. And in which case, maybe the thing to do is that what we need to have is we need to have people that are licensed to have this kind of thing. Like you have to, you know, to get a driver's license, you need to, you know, pass a test. Right. Are you qualified to operate a good composting toilet? You know, do you know why you use sawdust and you do not use lime? You know, do you are you familiar with these things? And you know, will you keep like the how-to book like right there with it or something? I I don't know. There there can be things that can be done, and and then you'll end up with a system that's superior to the the sewage system that's in place. Excellent, excellent, excellent thought to end on. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about clean living, homesteading, and permaculture all the time.